Ronananian. It could be a bad ignition switch. It could be a coil. It could be... There's a lot of things here, but until we know what we're missing, I don't want to start replacing parts because that creates a whole other set of problems unto itself. Ronananian. Bad mother... Shut your the car doctor. It doesn't stall or anything, but I just feel a little vibration in the steering wheel, maybe. So, is your concern the vibration, or is your concern where the RPM is? I thought they were both related. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Amy, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in, sit down. Ron Nini and the Car Doctor here at your service. The phone number is 855-560-9900. We're taking your calls about your automobile problem, whatever it might be. And keep in mind that 855-560-9900 is a 24-7 number, meaning that when this radio show is not on the air, we're live on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time all across this great country of ours and out on the Internet and streaming at cardoctorshow.com. But 855-560-9900 has a messaging service on it. If you call and we're not here, leave a message fast. Harry, our executive producer, will call you back, talk to you about your problem and line you up for our next live broadcast, because that's really what this radio show is about. That's what we like to do. We want to talk to you about the problem, and uh, we'll make it easy. We'll be gentle, I promise, and educate you as well as everybody else out there that's listening, because we're just trying to help clarify and clean up and clear up some of the misrepresentation that this industry has in terms of what it takes to really fix cars properly. I think I could best start this week's monologue by saying, I think about a tale of two cities, but it was a tale of two automobiles. 2004 Buick Century came into the shop this week at RA Automotive in Waldwick with a horn problem. Didn't work. No horn whatsoever. And it was a fairly cut-and-dry system. 2004 wasn't a whole lot of technology. It's just vastly different than what you see today, but it was basically what we've seen for the past umpteen 60 years. There was a switch, there was a relay, there was a fuse, and there was a horn. Uh, you know, what could be wrong? Well, I went through it real quick, and the relay was good, the fuse was good. Got down to the horns because I could hear the relay clicking when Danny pressed on the horn button. And got down to the horns, one was plugged in, the other was not. There was a dent in the right front bumper, plastic bumper, vinyl bumper, on this Buick Century, this 04 Buick Century. And it had a dent in it. And you could see where the dent <laughs> lined up. It perfectly was in line where the horn was in that lower right-hand corner of the front fender on the passenger side. And it looked like the dent, the impact, knocked that wire off. And when I asked the owner, she said, yeah, you know, I, I had something happen. She wasn't quite clear, but it was about a year ago or so. She said where the horn was working fine. She remembers she came too close to the house or somebody's car. She wasn't quite sure. Oh, boy. And after that, the horn sounded funny for a while, and then it died completely. And she's been meaning to get it fixed. Nothing like instant attention. So turns out that, yeah, the horn that was connected died, 
and no longer worked, and that was the, the low note horn, the, the bassier horn. And the one that was unplugged, the high note, that beep, was the one that would work, and it did once I plugged it in, and we had beep all the time every time you hit the button. Fixed. Not a big deal. But this is a tale of two horns, right? 2013 Jeep Wrangler. Unlimited unlimited Wrangler Rubicon. Nice Jeep. Came into the shop. The next day, the horn doesn't work. Well, actually, it was a different kind of a problem. It was whenever you open the driver's door and only the driver's door, the horn would go off for 30 seconds. Really annoying. And I imagine it is. Every time you open the every time you open the door for thirty seconds, the horn goes off. Well, that was about a year ago, and the owner decided it must be after a year. People get tired of it and miss their horns, or that they're tired of yelling out the window, "Hey, you!" So he unplugged both horns and left it like that. Showed up on my doorstep. Totally different system, like nothing. I haven't seen one like this yet. It was a little bit of an education in the sense that they ran the horn switch through the cruise control switch through the clock spring for the airbag out to the instrument cluster which was the, which saw the request for horn which sent it over to the body module which then sent it over to the horn relay which is soldered in place on the printed circuit board inside the total power module on the right hand fender and then down to the horn so the horn would blow so, turns out, after some diagnosis, and a completely different type of diagnosis, completely different, we went from, I went from voltmeter and test light to scan tool, instantly, an instant upgrade. Got out my Launch X431, the tablet you hear me talking about all the time, worked really well, and brought up the body module went in and looked at the little pieces of data that I could measure, found the horn. Horn button showed on. Hmm. The horn button stuck on. Well, that would make sense why the horn's blowing. It, it, it always thinks it's in a state of wake up. And, and, and the fact is, the problem is that at first what I thought was the alarm was really just the horn. You see, if it's, if it's the alarm on this vehicle as well as other vehicles, the horn would oscillate, which is one of the reasons they run it through the body module. It gives it the ability to pulse with and vary the ground control so they can vary the intensity of the horn volume. The horn will wail, so to speak, and the lights will flash if it's alarm. This was purely horn. So I said, well, we'll start with, let's take the horn switch out and, and, and see if we can change that PID. Took the horn switch out. You know how crazy it is? When you're standing there and you've got the horn switch in your left hand and you open the driver's door with your right and the horn's going off and you're going, huh? And you look at the scan tool and the scan tool says horn button on. Wait a minute. Did I take the wrong part out of the car? No, wait. There it is. It's right there. It's in my left hand. I can see it. Here it is. I'm touching it. The wire's unplugged. Horn button on. Reached over to the right side cruise control switch, which they call a master on this particular car, they consider it a master module, unplugged the cruise control switch, the horn stopped blowing. Looked at the scan tool, it still showed on. Wow. Boy, was this an education. Ended up that the instrument cluster, which takes the command from the cruise switch, was stuck, was electronically stuck. 
So I had to disconnect the battery, put a 10-ohm, 1-watt resistor wire in between the positive and negative battery cables, bleed the voltage down out of the vehicle, let all the modules go to an empty state, hooked everything back up. I left connected for about 10, 15 minutes. Hooked everything back up, plugged the scan tool back in, horn button read off. Well, I kind of knew that. It's in my hand. It's got to be off. Plugged everything back in except for the horn switch. The horn goes off. Bad cruise switch. And I could prove it because I could also look at it on a scan tool and see certain things that were showing me that the cruise switch thought it was being activated by the horn switch when it wasn't. Bottom line, no two diagnoses are the same. And for you, the consumer, you've got to learn to accept the fact that how your mechanic fixed your car as little as three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, is going to be totally different today. That 2016 automobile that you're driving, if you're driving a new car, totally different in terms of diagnosis. That 10-year-old car, much easier, much less electronics compared to today. And we thought the cars in 2006 and 2005 and four and so on were so heavily laden. It's absolutely amazing. And I guess the thing you have to be aware of is that the days of not diagnosing a problem are over. And you've heard me talk about this a couple of times in the last few months because I'm seeing more and more where the shops that are out there posing, pretending to be mechanics and not diagnosing, are coming out with a laundry list of here's what the car needs. I had somebody the other day as an aside. I had a, he had a 2003 Ford E350 van. Alex, Al. He said Alex, his mother was mad at him when she named him. He said, call me Al. Met him for the first time, diagnosis problem. He had a charging system issue. He had a bad alternator. When I was done, I explained the diagnosis to him. I showed him the wiring diagram, how I picked it apart. Showed him the new alternator. Showed him the old alternator. He said, you know, he goes, nobody does this. He goes, nobody diagnoses like that. He goes, he goes my old mechanic was throwing parts at it, which is one of the reasons I left him. And it's, it's really getting to be difficult to repair a car, and you need to find somebody that can diagnose. Al gets it. You got to get it. You've got to find a diagnostician. You've got to have some understanding, and you've got to give them some leeway and be willing to spend some time because otherwise the cost of parts to throw parts at a car, way too expensive. In the end, a tale of two cars, both had the same problem, no horn, two completely, entirely different solutions and two completely, entirely different diagnoses, all for the same problem. Hello and welcome. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. This is an interview-free hour. We are here to take your calls and answer your questions at 855-560-9900. Keep in mind, we're also out on Facebook. I, I fail to mention that from time to time. I forget. I get so caught up in the moment. Somebody said to me the other day, one of the affiliates said, hey, we want you to do a, a promo for your radio show and, and you know tell the listeners down here in Maryland in 30 seconds or less what it is about your radio show if, if you were going to tell them about it. And I I ended up cutting the promo, and I said, you know, it's that I've been fixing cars since 1978. I've been on the radio since 1991. I love what I do, and I just want to help people understand their car. So trust me, if you call 855-560-9900, I'll be gentle, and I'll just explain your car problem the best I can and help you come to a good conclusion because that's what this radio show is all about. We'll return right after this to open the garage doors. Don't go away.
Welcome back. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Keep in mind we're out on Facebook, Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor, and get out to our website, cardoctorshow.com, to find links for podcasts at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, and uh, all sorts of devices to take the Car Doctor with you wherever you want to go. And coming soon to Google Patch, if I remember right. Uh, that's where we're going to be at uh, Google Patch when Google decides to uh, uh, create their podcasting service as well. We're in the lineup already to be there. How are you today, Harry? Yeah, I'm good, Ron. Chubby's always good. Yeah, chubby, not chubby, svelte. Yeah, well, he's so, svelte. you got to be one or the other. So, Well, I'm chubby and I'm svelte. Well, you are getting svelte. You used to be 520 pounds. What are you now, 450, 460? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting down there. Did my uh, 4K the other week, Yeah, February 13th. Just kind of rolled you along and uh, off you went. Yeah, well, I didn't finish last, I can tell you that. So, well, it was a 5K. Well, yeah, yeah. 5K, 3.1 miles, 3.2 like miles. Now you're looking and good. My, yeah. And it was minus 12 degrees, I might add. Well, yeah, that, and that's never fun. So now that we've bored everybody completely to death with your life, yeah, um, well, can we can we move along and try and fix some cars? Yeah, we can do that. Okay. Let's start out with uh, Jimmy in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. He's got a 2014 Ford Taurus and uh, is having a little trouble with the rack and pinion steering. Okay, cool. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the car, Dr. Ron and Anian at your service, sir. How can I help? Oh, thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I have a 2014 Ford Taurus. And um, um, uh, the other day I was driving it, and then uh, I I had like um, like the tie rod is is worn out or something like that. Right. So I decided to stop at uh, my mechanic's place. Okay. So when I went there, he he removed the tie rod and then uh, replaced it, and uh, he told me the lack and pinion is is bad because the uh, after he replaced the the tie rod, uh, the steering was started making a lot of noise. Okay, well, keep in mind this is a 2014 Jimmy. This is yes. a 2014 Taurus. Is this the six cylinder or the four cylinder? Six cylinder. Okay, this car has electric power steering. You know that. Correct. Right. Okay. So he says it needs a power steering. What? No. Uh, he said um, I need. Uh, to replace the lack and pinion. Okay. Did he say why? Yeah. Did he or just this was a, from the hip, from the hip diagnosis? Yeah, he just said he just said that is bad. Okay, but my my yeah. point my point is this: this is electronic. All right. Yes. So you know, if he changed a tire, there isn't too much you can do wrong putting a tire on a car, even with electronic rack and pinion, even this day and age. If if he changed the tire and the steering got tight right away afterward, or the steering is tight and not quite possibly, why wouldn't we plug in a scan tool? You know, this this is what I was talking about in the opening conversation about diagnosing the horns. The scan tool takes command of everything today, and I think before he recommends replacing a rack and pinion from the seat of his pants, and my concern is he's diagnosing this old school. He saw something that he doesn't like or understand, and he just wants to keep his head buried in the sand. You know, let's 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 plug in a scan tool. If this needs a rack, there's going to be fault codes in there indicating that there's going to be something that sends us in that direction. All right. Um, okay. So that's number one. Number two, there are some known issues with this particular model car where the power steering control module is at fault. And there are times it has to be either programmed or calibrated or both. And there, there, there are some tests that have to be done in order to ensure that. So, okay. 
you know, it's it's funny. Everybody tries to diagnose. Well, I, I think it's this. I think it's that. And I bet it was. I bet it was quite a bit of money to put a rack and pinion in this car, right? Yes. Yeah. Four, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, he's saying it's about fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, your question to him is going to be: Are you sure that's going to fix it? Among other things. Yeah. That's... Right. You know. Uh, I had breakfast at the deli this morning. If I can just tell you this story. And I, I was sitting there, and one of the regulars, Tom, came up, and he saw me. And he's going out to buy a new car today. And, you know, as you can imagine, if you, if you know who I am and what I do, most of my meals outside in the world are, you know, held up by, hey, can I just ask you one question? <laughs> and um, he, he said, you know, I'm going to buy a new car today. Do you think I should lease? Do you think I should buy? What do you think I should buy? What do you think I should, you know, drive? What do you think I want to drive for the next three or four years, five years, ten years. And I said, well, first of all, you got to find something you like. And, you know, you've got to find something that makes you happy because you're going to be with it a long time. And when it breaks, it's not going to be cheap because nothing is today. And, you know, you got to be prepared to diagnose it. But most importantly, cars are a lifestyle. And, you know, it's something you've got to be aware of and you got to like it. So I guess my point is, you know, yes. your mechanic is – it sounds to me like he put a tire on the car and you mentioned to him that the steering is tight. And as a result, he said, well, it must be a rack and pinion, but it it's, you know, there's, there's no rule that says it's that if, if he hasn't put a scan tool on it, Jimmy, I don't see how uh, he could know. No, he did not. Right. I don't see how he could know. And you know, if you want to take the gamble of fourteen fifteen hundred dollars this is how good relationships go bad. You know, I always tell everybody auto repair is a relationship, and it really is. It's 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 all about it's all about when things are going bad. Not necessarily when things are going good, because when there's a problem, after he puts the rack in your car and collects the fifteen hundred dollars, if that doesn't fix it, how's he gonna handle it? And and, and, and that to me is the biggest concern. But before you even get to that point, head him off at the pass, ask him, can you properly diagnose this? Because the other problem is going to be if he puts that electronic power steering rack and pinion in the car and he doesn't have the ability to talk to it, he won't be able to program it and he can't complete the job. Go back and talk to him, Jimmy. Let me know what happens. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We'll return right after this. Welcome back. Ron Nini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Got Big Tom Ray on the board right now. Uh, looking good over there, Mr. Tom. Um, what happened to Tony? Of course I do. I yeah. always look good. Yeah, well, I knew that. Um, but, uh, you know, do you realize it's been, um, I was thinking about it. Do you realize we're uh, I mean, we're 25 years on radio, but we're, we're four years into self-syndication here and just kind of rolling along. Is it four years? Is yes, this, it's, yeah, it was four years uh, last uh, a couple weeks ago. How did we get to be this old? I don't know. I can't figure I this know. out. No, I don't know about you. I stopped aging. Is that what happens? Yes. Uh, well, I'm gonna. I can't wait till I hit that plateau where I can stop aging and just fix cars because that's what I want to keep doing forever and ever. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero is the phone number. Let's get over to line two and talk to John, Glenrock, New Jersey. John, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thank you for fixing my wife's car. Oh, I know who this is. I mean... <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't tell you. Better yet, to get it. All right. How's the car? No, I don't know. She's driving it. I'm driving the Mustang. Now, John. You know, hey, John, she never listens to the show, so I think we're safe, right? Or I'm assuming she won't listen yeah, to the we're show. Real safe. We're safe. Hey, I, I put it on the Facebook page for the podcast, but she won't hear it. So She'll never hear it. Did okay. you did you understand her comment the part about well she'd rather just wait till it breaks and fix it all then rather than do the maintenance along the way? Did did your credit yeah, card go uh, ouch? Hey, uh, you know, uh, hey, you know, she was raised up with like cars and stuff like that, and just tr- throw the car away, you know. Uh, and I was raised by my dad to fix cars, you know? right? My dad had to bay with oil and stuff like that. I took care of my first Mustang there. And eight Mustangs later, courtesy of your suggestion of getting the car I wanted to drive in May, you know, after the Fusion died, you know, uh, you know, we just keep on going. Right, yeah. You know? now, 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 that's that's really interesting. That's That's really interesting in that, you know, your wife was raised in a family where they didn't maintain cars, and you were raised by a guy that did. And, and look at the difference, right? And it's 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 funny how the influence of parents affects affects somebody for a lifetime like that. Well, that nineteen sixty eight Mustang GT convertible, you know, dad that uh, showed me everything, but that also puts the Monroe uh, yellow air shocks in there and the Pioneer cassette tape deck. You know, so we spent a lot of time in that car. So, right. You know, and that bond was made. Right. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad, not a bad bond to have, right, John? I mean, you know, I, I've learned uh, over. Yeah. I, I've I've learned over the years in talking to the listeners that the connection to the car usually comes back to a connection to a memory with a family member. It's not unusual, and you know, one of my earliest memories of cars. Besides working on them with my dad uh, as a kid, because my dad was an airline mechanic and tinkered with the family cars, as you and the other listeners know. But one of my greatest memories was the day I must have been five or six years old. Dad had a Volvo, and he put me between him on his lap, and I steered the car and shifted it, or I thought I was steering the car and shifting it, while he worked the clutch and the brake and the gas pedal. And uh, right then I was hooked. I knew it was cars, uh, you know, at a very early well, age. You know, Dad worked as a glazier putting in, uh, you know, windshields at West End Glass in Somerville back in the day. And he worked on every car, and Dad had his strict opinions on cars. So uh, that's why I'm a Ford guy, you know. So, but the question I have for you, besides thank you, is I was listening to before on the spark plug issue, okay? Now, you know the Mustang was coming up with 20,000 miles on it. Should I put those spark plugs in this, better spark plugs in this Mustang now? If they're made for a 2015, John, yeah, it wouldn't be the worst idea. The Denso TTs will show you a performance change and will show you better fuel economy and definitely a good upgrade to do to the car. It's a better performing plug, just like the ads say, and it's, it's not nonsense. It's 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 really well thought out. You know, the next time you're in the shop, remind me. I'll look up and I'll get a set down there and I'll show you how those plugs are made. 
They are so, you know, i got to tell you, they're so pretty the way they're welded and accurately put together. It's it's almost like a work of art. You don't want to use them. You don't want to get them dirty. But obviously that's what you have to do. They're spark plugs. Um, but, you know, yeah, the Denso TTs do provide some vast benefits to conventional spark plug technology. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. Would I normally do that? Honest answer is no. Most people don't want to spend money to maintain a car or improve the performance. For a guy like you that understands the benefits of maintenance and understands the rationale behind it, yeah, by all means, let's look into it and we'll talk about it the next time I see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, I can't thank you enough for what you did. Hopefully she gets it this time. Well, hopefully. But I doubt it. Yeah, I know. Hey, listen, by the way, John, i got to tell you, keep in mind, we are on local radio in New York. You can hear us on WRCR AM 1700. So if her radio's working, That's I'm listening to. well, yeah. If, That's if what I'm listening to right now, if if her radio's working, she may be driving around listening yeah. to the show today because I told her what to listen to, and uh, you may be in trouble when you get home. Uh oh. No, she's parked right now. So oh, anyway, okay. thank you. <laughs> hey, John, you take good care. I'll talk to you next time I see you. All right, buddy. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Annie in the car doctor. Let's pull over and take a pause. The car doctor will be back right after this. Doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Happy to be here. Happy to serve and glad to talk to each and every one of you. More information at cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over to the phones and talk to Rob in Bangor, Maine. Some questions about Idle Time 2015 Equinox. Rob, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. I You're appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. What's going question, on? Question about sitting in an idling vehicle. I'm an outside sales rep. spend a lot of time on the road, and I have to pull over on occasion to return phone calls and emails and things like that. And as you can imagine, in the dead of January and February, it's cold in Maine. So we'll leave that car idling, you know, up to an hour and a half or something while I'm sitting in it. Uh, two questions, I guess. My health and the car's health. More concerned about my health and the car, but um, what do you think about fumes getting up into the cabin of the vehicle? Well, I think the good news is on a 2015, the exhaust system is real tight, and uh, hoping it is. So all the fumes should be exiting out the rear of the vehicle. Yep. And I, I don't think you're going to have any issues. Um, obviously, you may want to sit there in fresh air mode to draw in outside air, as crazy as that sounds, because I, I, in recirc, I would be concerned if anything did get in, at least this way in fresh air mode, you're purging it out. And maybe you want to crack a back window just to keep some fresh air in the car, because things will get stale in there regardless, uh, just, right. to, just to keep some air circulating. But, uh, you know, from that perspective, I think you're safe. The car, 90 minutes idle time. And I assume you do this year-round, or is this only a winter thing? No, just in the wintertime, really. Okay. You know, 90 minutes idle time, you've just got to watch and behave on your oil changes. And, you know, be concerned about, you know, that idle time does add wear and tear. You know, uh, look at police cars. Look at, you know, cars that do, uh, you know, a lot of idle time. Police, security guards, you know, shopping mall security, things like that. The oil change intervals are based on time more so than mileage. So I would, you know, if you're doing, how many miles a year do you think you're doing, Rob? I do about 50, and it's a, it's a company vehicle, so I'm not having that oil changed every five to 6,000 miles. Right. But, you know, if that five to 6,000 miles takes you how long? 
Three months? Four months? Not very long. About a thousand miles a week. Oh, okay. So you are doing quite a bit of driving. Then I think oh, yeah. then I think you're okay. Um, okay. As, as long as you're as long as you're hitting the mileage, you know, within the time frame. I'm not crazy about all the idle time. If this was a car you were planning to keep the two hundred thousand miles, I would tell you to use synthetic oil and shorten the oil change interval up to three thousand miles. But the fact that it'll be gone um, probably by a hundred, it's not going to really matter. Like you said, it's a company car and they're going to write it off. All right? Okay. So you you take good care, sir. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. Take you're, it easy. You're very welcome. Let's do a quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, my name is Alex, and I own a repair shop in Long Island City, New York. I'm so happy I found you on iHeartRadio. Oh, an iHeartRadio listener. I used to listen to you on AM710 back a few years ago. Yep. Your show is great, and it practically mirrors my work in the shop every day. I can relate. I'm trying my best to do my best possible for my customers, but I'm having problems with customers that don't want to spend any money. Well, why should your shop be any different than mine? In most cases, I don't have problems fixing cars. I have problems selling a job. If it's possible, please tell me what's the best way to give an estimate on electrical, such as a battery draw, broken, or shorted wiring harnesses. We're going to take these one at a time. This is a four-part question. Um, Give an estimate on electrical, battery draw, broken, or shorted wiring harnesses, no communication or intermittent problems. You know, Alex, the only way you can sell that is blocks of time. And the the real answer is somebody has to believe in your ability, and you have to sell that you're going to try and do the best that you can using the most modern and up-to-date methods. And believe it or not, what I think, what I think helps sells a shop's ability to repair a car, intermittent problems, electrical problems, and even simple oil changes is overall appearance. You know, I've said for years here on radio, when you walk into a shop, if your feet stick to the floor and if it's disheveled and and rough looking, I don't know if I'd want to leave a 2008 BMW there for repair. I don't know that I'd want to leave a late model Ford Mustang there for repair, not knowing, you know, are they practicing safe repair? So I think appearance is, is, is part of it. Number one. Number two, I also think selling blocks of time. Look, there's some tests I can run. I can run those tests. It's going to take me an hour and a half. It's $156 if we're going on a theoretical labor rate of $100 an hour. And we can take it to that level. What I typically do is I will sell a block of time initially, and then after that, sell a bigger block of time. If I can't get through it in the first block, that means I've got a very complex involved problem, and I've got to look deeper. The point is, you've got to get compensated for your time. You've got to get paid for what you're doing. And you're not there as a science project. You're there to make a living and purchase enough equipment and enough training to continue to be there to support your customers. And if they don't understand that, what they're really saying is, we don't care if you make any money. We're just here to try and get what we can and move on. And you don't need that type of customer. And I think if more guys were like that, we would kind of church everybody up to the point that they understand that repairing a car is a very difficult and time-consuming process in some instances. Second part, how do you sell a $1,000 job on a $3,000 car? I've never been able to do it. Yeah, I kind of have a problem doing that too, Alex, in the sense that is it worth doing? And I, I ask myself that question. Part of the answer, though, is it's not up to me to decide. It's up to the customer to decide. I'll look the entire car over, make sure that the car would respond to what it is I am repairing. I'll also look back at service records. I'll look back and see, have they done regular oil changes? Have they done regular fluid replacement? Have they replaced filters? Have they done proper due 
guilt, diligence, and care. And if they have, then you know what? Just because the market says it's worth $3,000 doesn't mean that's what the car is worth. My wife's car, my wife's out looking at, at new cars. She has been for a while now. She had her 2005 Chevy Malibu with 145,000 miles on it appraised by a dealer. They told her it's worth 1200 bucks. You know what? I'm still putting brakes on it. I'm still putting tires on it. I'm still letting her drive it. It's worth a whole lot more to me than 1200 bucks because in reality, that new car is going to be close to thirty grand or $35,000, whatever the number is. So don't let what the car is worth based on the market dictate what kind of repairs you do to it because it's really what kind of condition is the car in. $1,000, if they're going to get another year out of the car, is cheap. If they're going to get three months out of the car, that's break-even if we assume $350 a month is a lease payment or a purchase payment if you buy the car. What do I think about when customers buy their own parts? I think they're trying to save themselves money, and they don't realize what it takes to properly pick parts and stand behind them. So you know what? If they want to pick their own parts, raise your labor rate and don't offer any guarantee because that's really what they're saying. They don't care if the part fails. All you have to do is guarantee it against workmanship. Make sure you bolted it on. If you took four bolts off, put four bolts on, you're covered. And what do I think is an appropriate labor rate in Long Island City, New York, for an independent shop? You know, Alex, that's a heck of a question. And it's not what I think, and it's not what the bank thinks, and it's not what the guy next door thinks. It's what your overhead dictates. And what you're going to have to do is look at your total fixed costs, divide it out by how many hours you're open, and come up with what it really costs for you to be there, whether you fix car one, car 100, or car zero. And there you can establish a good labor rate. And then sell it and explain to people how good of a job you're doing. Food for thought. Email me again, ron at cardoctorshow.com, Alex, if you need more information. Anybody's got any comments, anybody wants to respond to anything I've said, by all means, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. We'll talk about it. It's interesting to hear everybody's feedback. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. We're on Needing the Car Doctor, kind of winding things down this hour. It's been a great hour as always. I've enjoyed being here and uh, taking care of each and every one of you as you've called in and asked your questions, and I appreciate you taking the time to let me be part of your day as we uh, roll along and um, just trying to fix cars. That's all we've been trying to do for the past, well, 25 years on radio, 43 years in the bays, and um, so forth. 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor's 24-7 number. You can call it during the week now. 855-560-9900. Leave a message, and Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in queue and line you up for the next broadcast so we can talk to you and solve your problem and, you know, hopefully educate everybody else along the way. Quick piece of email. Ron, love the show. 2007 Toyota RAV4 oil consumption. I had Toyota test it. They say it doesn't meet the required amount for any action, but it's not good. I just did an oil change, and it was two and a half quarts low. I checked the oil more than I do in any of my other vehicles because I know there's a potential problem. What can I do? Dave. Dave, my one question is it doesn't meet their requirement, but what's the mileage versus consumption usage? Yes, Toyota does have some very specific 
requirements and, and specifications. But And I believe it to be a quart every thousand is okay, but a quart in 900 is not, and so on. So what's the spec here? Is this a quart in 1,500 miles? Is this a quart in 1,200 miles? Or is this a quart in 2,000 miles because you're going 8,000 miles on an oil change? I need some mileage information to better answer this because if you're close, I think you've got a case for you know telling Toyota, look, I bought one. You've got to do something for me because it's common knowledge they've got ring and piston issues and it's got to get addressed. So uh, that's how I would approach it. Look at the mileage as well as the consumption. Hey, Ron and Amy and the car doctor. Until the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. 